Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige film podcast. Today, we're talking about the 2002 crime thriller Insomnia. It was directed by Christopher Nolan uh, with a screenplay by Hilary Seitz. Of course, Christopher Nolan, you know, everybody knows what he's from. Dunkirk. Sure. Uh, and Oppenheimer. It's ba- yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited for Oppenheimer. Me too. Uh, I am become excited. Based on the film Insomnia by Nikolaj Frobenius and Eric Skolgebarg, who wrote and directed the original Norwegian film starring Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, I kind of want to go back and watch that film now because uh, I'm a big Stellan Skarsgård fan. And mm-hmm. this I, I, I enjoyed this film a lot. Uh, it stars Al Pacino. Hoo-ah! It stars Robin Williams, uh, who is... You know, beloved by all. Uh, Hillary Swank, who was once a karate kid and a million dollar baby. Mara Tierney. The stranglehold that she had on me in the 90s, man. Uh, I was a big fan of ER. Uh, she showed up in Liar Liar, a bunch of other things. I think mm-hmm. she was in The Affair. That was just a like four season HBO show a couple years back. Hmm. Uh, and Paul Dooley, who I'm throwing in here just for you, Jim, because I know you're a big fan of Popeye the film. Did you know sure. this is wimpy? The guy who's always bumming hamburgers. Who is the Paul Dooley in this movie? He's the police chief of this Alaskan town. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. Boy, it's, it's just like 30 years apart is the problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, he's very old in this, yeah. I think he's still like, he still pulls off a pretty good wimpy. Uh, I thought... I have memories of seeing this film. Maybe it's because I saw like uh, Christopher Nolan spotlight or something. Um, Mm, I thought I'd seen this film, but I hadn't. I'd forgotten that it was a Christopher Nolan film until the credits started rolling at the beginning. I had forgotten that Robin Williams was in this film until he fucking shows up. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And and I was was like, okay, Uh, I, I paused the film as soon as I saw Christopher Nolan and I looked where this was and related to Memento. This is only his second, you know, if you don't count a student film, this is which why the fuck does anyone right, uh, right. Uh, that just annoys the piss out of me, by the way, uh, when someone says like, oh, let's see. What about a student film? Like, fuck. <laughs> Give me a copy of that. Show, show me where I can go right. download that on which on I think you probably can Apple for Christopher TV. Nolan's work. But it's like that's like, no, that's not. I don't I don't I don't know. I don't know if that you can count that as your first film. Like, sure. Is it in my Shyamalan's first film, the thing he shot on his Super 8 with his little brother when he's nine years old? Like, come on. <laughs> right. Right. But this is only a second film after Memento when and it came out just a year later. Um, and the movies can't be more different in terms of like one originally yeah. written in, uh, uh, by by Jonathan and, and Christopher. Um uh, an original piece, very distinct in its its structure. Its budget was very limited. This is a mid-budget studio film that was based on other source material. I, I, I and, and I was reading what people think about this film, and I no, I noticed a, a lot of people said this is a very un-Nolan Nolan film. Yeah, what did yeah, you? What did, I what, mostly what, agree with that. Okay, because I kind of disagree. What did you think of the film, Jim? Uh, I've seen this movie, this might be either the third or fourth time I've seen this movie, and it, this, it it holds a weird place in my mind, because it kind of put, this and one hour photo kind of put Robin Williams on my map, because I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Robin Williams comedy, I'll say that, I, I've never watched Mork and Mindy, that was kind of before my time, I, I, I was do not, love Mork and Mindy, 
<laughs> a lot of people do you're in good company yeah. um yeah. I, I i never was allowed to watch good morning vietnam when it was yeah, contemporary R, sure. or being talked about and significantly like all that stuff missed me i i certainly wasn't gonna watch like a lot of i don't know miss mrs doubtfire Maybe Mrs. Doubtfire is, is was I think okay. You're but... in, in in the millennial market is where probably yeah. Robin Williams comes on a lot of people's maps for sure. For sure, uh, Popeye was surprisingly the thing that did it for me with his comedy. But like as oh, a yeah. as a, an actor, th this was it. This and One Oof. Hour Photo were like the turn for Robin Williams, where I was like, okay, I I actually like this guy's work uh, when he started doing more serious stuff. So. It, it always gets like lumped in with one hour photo in my brain. Um, it's wild because they came out the exact same fucking year. Yeah. Like yeah. this is the 2002 is the year that Robin Williams is like, I'm going to stop all this ridiculous shit and people are going to fear me. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm much. going to I'm going to haunt their dreams now. Sure. Uh, and he still does. He still does. But yeah, I, I was I never think of this as a Christopher Nolan movie either. I think of it first and foremost as like an Al Pacino movie um, and just like, oh, it must be some random director or whatever. Uh, but I, I really like this movie and I always have. It, it really stuck with me, just the, the vibe of this movie after seeing it for the first time mm. Um, mm. because it's set in an Alaskan, a part of the world in Alaska where the sun does not set for days at a time, months at a time, I think. Um, and, and Al Pacino's entire experience in this town takes place in the daytime, even though six days pass. Um, and, and the way that they put this film together, I, I think especially the editing is kind of remarkable because it gives you that feeling. Uh, I, I'm just, I, I constantly look at the editing of this movie and go, wow, I felt like, my brain just skipped a beat there. Like I am just as tired as Al Pacino watching this movie. Uh, and not because the movie doesn't move. It does. It's, it's, it's well paced. Uh, it surprises you with where it goes time after time. Uh, and I, I just really like this movie. Yeah. I, I kind of take exception with the idea. That this is not a Nolan film. Um, it's not a Nolan film and it doesn't have any like mind bending sci-fi right. or medical premise. There's no it's, backwards. It's not playing of, with time. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not, you know, dealing with the nature of reality and matter and mm -hmm. identity and things like that. But it kind of is in terms of like psychologically. Sort of. And yeah. if you look, just look at this film. Uh, look at the shot selection. You look at the yeah. framing. You look at, I think, the editing. Um, I know uh -huh. Nolan obviously doesn't do the, the editing, but I think that what you feed an editor kind of, like, shapes that a little bit. Um, and I think there's, like, this, you know, like, he's, like, the master of the inset. Um, and he's, and that's so, it's, it's he's very good at, uh, at at allowing, like, smart people just to fuck around in front of a camera for a minute, and you don't get bored because it's, like, you know... Uh, like he puts you in the mind of Hillary Swank turning over a book and making conclusions about it. And mm -hmm. there's no dialogue. She's alone. Um, that, sh that, that is a scene that you have to kind of have a certain amount of panache and style to carry off. And I feel like I recognize now, if I hadn't known it was Christopher Nolan, when I watched this film, I don't know if I had uh, suspected it, but there's just a lot of things. Sure. I thought that the, the log chase and the underwater sequence that felt very Nolan-esque. 
there's a yeah, couple of like injections of Nolan. Like, you know, this film could be an almost sleepy film, uh, you know, with all the themes of sleep and how uh-huh. quiet it is. I, I saw someone write that if you if you edited out all the gunshots and I think there's three, maybe four in the whole film uh-huh. that this could make like an effective sleepy time ASMR. You know, just hearing like sure. Pacino slur his way through his lines, and <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I, I, I really liked it, and I think you nailed it. Like it, you start to feel like you're losing your mind with Al Pacino, like yeah. um, when he looks at the clock and it says four eighteen, and you're not sure whether it's in the morning or at night, mm-hmm. um, and it's only like the context clues, like when he's walking around the city. You don't know if that's the middle of the night or the daytime. And like increasing throughout the picture, I don't think Al Pacino does either. And yeah. I think that and, and with the like at the end of the film, when you get to the extreme kind of editing stutters and jitters, mm-hmm. um, I've been awake for several days at a time. And the, I thought they nailed that feeling of kind of unreality and yeah. not like out and out hallucinations, but the unreality of that I, I, I thought is extremely effective. Um yeah, there's and, a driving scene that always sticks with me uh, where where he's driving down the highway and he's kind of... The, the way that the, the editing pulls focus and the directing pulls focus to, like, the windshield wiper as he's driving down the road and that's all his brain can see and, and it, the camera just sticks with it, right? Back and forth, back and forth, back for a good 15 seconds. And then there's a horn honk, like, from a truck, a big air horn, and you're like, oh, shit, he's going to crash. He turns the wheel, he skids out, and there's no truck. Like, he's right. he's hallucinated this truck of driving down this road while he's been fixated on the wiper blade. It's such an amazing series of edits and shots. And Especially it, since it that puts was me in the mood for this. Set up deliberately when he's a little bit more in control of him, like, playing chicken with his truck. And, yeah, like, you're yeah. kind of expecting, like... Uh... Yeah, and, and the film, also the, the way it feels... I think what appealed to Nolan is how slippery the plot is. Like, uh-huh. you think you're just settling in for, like, a pretty bog-standard crime film, and then the fog scene happens. Yeah. And holy shit. Like, that was, like, the big thing. I thought the mystery is going to be, did he do the thing or did he not do the thing? And then... And then he gets a phone call. And I'm he like, gets a phone call. What? And, like, wow, holy shit. <laughs> and, then, and then there's an interrogation scene. And then there's mm-hmm. a scene of him trying to look for evidence. Like, every... Like, I... I I could see Nolan either watching this film, uh, the the original, and being like, "Yeah, I want to, I want to inject some 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 Nolan stuff into this." I can see why it appealed to him, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I I think that's like the quintessential Nolan trademark is that the plot is a little slippery. It demands that you kind of pay attention, and you know, I saw a lot of people like were super confused about some things about, well, if the gun was here, how did it end up on there? And I'm like, well, you just gotta put your phone down and watch the movie, man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I liked it. It's a very small film. Uh, now that I know the budget, I'm like kind of surprised it's $50 million. I guess a lot of that went to Pacino and Williams probably. Um, yeah, of course. But the other thing, I'm not sure if I said this cause we talked about this uh, too much. We, we, we talked about this too much before we started recording. I think this is one of the better. No, I mean, I don't know. Cause like, this is the end of a big tear for Al Pacino in the middle of his career like this is right you know this mm-hmm. is with heat this is with um god I, I've, i'm blanking on all of them but this is kind of like capping off his middle pacino uh career and it's one of yeah. the least pacino performances uh because you know he's usually this high energy guy it looks like he just right. snorted a rail of coke before he gets in front of the camera on every take and he's it looks like talking about 
Right. And this film, like you can just see the energy bleed and him getting tired and tired and his his voice get breathier and breathier. His mouth is just, you know, hanging open. Uh, his eyes are getting sunk in. Um, he's just, you know, physically and mentally deteriorating over not just the lack of sleep because the lack of sleep's not just the sunlight. I don't think it's it's also, you know, his guilty conscience. Yes. Um, yeah. So I yeah, I thought this I thought this film was great and I'm surprised that people think of this as the lesser Nolan film. Although if you look at over his catalog, other than like Tenet, uh-huh. I don't see an obvious shit. Uh you've got you got following, which I haven't seen. That's a student film. Pardon me. Uh <laughs> Memento is fucking amazing. Insomnia is amazing. Batman the Batman series is, you know, it is it is what it is. I think it's a pretty good superhero film. Hot take. Uh, the Prestige is amazing. Mm-hmm. Inception, I think, is amazing. Interstellar, I just rewatched that over the break with my son, who's obsessed with space, is entirely amazing. Captivated my my sixteen year old. I think Dunkirk is amazing. Tenet, Tenet yeah. isn't. And did you ever see Tenet? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. It's it's I, the I, weakest of the Nolan stuff. I'm I wasn't super yeah. impressed. That that's a film that felt like it needed to bake a little bit longer, and I'm not sure why it went out the way it did but um and then we got oppenheimer coming out this year which i'm excited for so yeah if it's the weakest link in that uh that chain it's not tenant is but if it's the the Mm -hmm. weakest link then i I don't know like it just doesn't have it doesn't have a 200 million dollar batman budget um because the acting uh so do we want to talk more about the spoiler free stuff or I mean, like, like, I guess maybe we should give people reasons to watch this film other than like, this is the one Christopher Nolan film you haven't seen. You should probably see it because, you know, why not? OK. What do you think? What are the big things to recommend? Other than uh, what we talked a about? A fresh faced Hillary Swank. That's always nice to see. I love Hillary Swank. I think yeah, she's really good. I've loved her in about everything I've seen her in. Um, she's playing she, a very like innocent, bright eyed character in this movie and it's it really works like I, I don't know what it is about her but she brings that to it and and then she brings other things to her other role she's a very good actor yeah and she completely holds her own against al pacino mm-hmm. on the screen which i thought was that's the other thing is there's a couple of scenes with uh robin williams and pacino kind of squaring off that is every bit as electric electric as like robert nero versus pacino and heat mm-hmm um and the stakes might even be higher i don't i don't know uh <laughs> I, I like that they never make it they never even hint at like a romantic thing between them because al pacino in his movies they usually do that they usually like yeah. they put him with the much younger woman and it kind of is is hilarious and how ridiculous it is well they uh, still did that they had it with mara tierney in her third mid 30s her um i think the they implied they, that i they don't fucked. think i she slept in his bed. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe they just had a. Platonic it's not heavily cuddle. implied. Well, I uh, just thought they they stayed up talking about their sins all night, and then like she fell oh, asleep on the bed. It's like a ground. And he day, didn't sleep, kinda. so he's just like, I'm gonna uh, leave. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that. They, yeah, I guess because like on six days no sleep, do you really crave sex? <laughs> <laughs> I don't or think you, you crave just anything. crave oblivion. I just yeah. want, I just yeah. want oblivion at Sweet that point. Sweet release. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I thought I appreciated the fact that the, you know, it's it's essentially detectives at two ends of their career. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, one who is like just burnt out and crossed every line. Uh, one who's fresh and and bright eyed and and is all about catching the bad guys. Um, I thought it was weird. I didn't think they, I didn't think they established why. Like, like is she just a detective groupie? Does she just read case files and stuff? Well, uh, I, I know they're chief. Cop. Yeah, so. But like, is, you, right now, name one hero cop. Name a oh, hero. I cop. can, but I'm not a cop. Okay, so oh, okay, so it's like you you know the people in your field that are doing really good work and stuff, and he's from yeah. a yeah. I just like I guess I I wasn't sure if there's this um, underground society of of uh, detective admirers where sure, they it's like, like pig that that movie where the chefs fight <laughs> over their ingredients or whatever. Yeah, there's yeah, like yeah yeah an underground like, cop he, fighting ring. And to the extent that she would read his case files and be able to remember some obscure detail there. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, yeah, she's, she's really good. Um, mm-hmm. I think again, I've, I've, this is a unique setting as far as I've, I've never seen a film set in a town where the sun never sets and what that mm-hmm. psychologically does. Also it's, um, you know, Pacino in this film is, is kind of on the lamb. He's certainly hiding things that he doesn't want to get exposed. And there's something poetic about, you know, sunlight being the best disinfectant. And you're at one town yeah. in the world that the sun never sets. You can never get away from it. Mm-hmm. You can never skulk around in the shadows. Um, I, I think if you're a aspiring editor or even experienced editor, this is a masterclass in editing. This movie, there, there's something they do with the the seamless cuts it somehow feels more seamless in this movie than I've ever seen. Even even though I've seen jump cuts, I've seen things like yeah. move from one scene to the next. Um, but it, but it always stands out as a jump cut. In this, it's the opposite. It all the cuts blend together, and you realize fifteen seconds into a scene, oh shit, we've moved on to a different scene here. This is not what I was just watching a moment ago, and it it really suits the theme of this movie. Yeah, there's a couple edits that are necessitated by the fact that Al Pacino is an ancient man. Even 20 years it's, ago, he's scrambling like, across the rocks. There's a couple of like Taken Four era Neeson. Like, how many ta- uh-huh. how many edits is it going to take for him to get over this fucking fence? Absolutely. Uh, that's how that's many a ta- different kind of skilled editor to make Al Pacino <laughs> yeah, look like he can scramble across wet rocks. Yeah, every time, yeah. every time there's an action scene, which like I think there's two in the whole, maybe three in the whole movie. Um, there, there, I, I kind of like is a little grim fascination of you know why are how are they going to make Al Pacino look like he's a man of action? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think yeah. Uh, other than than that stuff, I, like I already said, it's just <laughs> yeah, uh, it's no one's got a way fault. of of. And again, I, I I feel like I'm credit. You know what? I did I, I did a quick bit of, of research because I was like we kept on talking about this editing and I'm like what the fuck does no one edit because like it is remarkably stable across his films and it does look like he is pretty consistently working with two editors um, uh, the one that he used in this film uh, Dottie Dorn and then Lee Smith who he switched to in the, in the Batman era um, and has directed all kind of all of his big budget stuff since so like that might explain but like also you know, so editing is somewhat direct, you know, driven by the shots. And this guy, mm-hmm. like I, it must, how exhausting must it be to work on a Nolan film? Cause like all these little micro shots that last like a half second, that has to be shot. And he's got to be like, Oh yeah, that's, that's gotta be staged. And you got, mm-hmm. it, it must be pretty technical. 
Oh yeah, for sure. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. Uh, anything else we want to talk non-spoiler before we get into spoilers? No. All right. Uh, in case you haven't seen this, and I think that's going to be a lot of people, um, this 20-year-old Nolan film, uh, Insomnia is about a detective played by Al Pacino who is called on by an old friend who is now a police chief in this tiny town uh, way up north in Alaska. Uh, as we mentioned, the sun never sets. They've got a murder. This is a small town. They're not used to having having murders, and it's a it's a it's an odd murder. Uh, body's been washed. Nails have been clipped. Uh, identifying marks have been removed. Uh, like someone that knows what they're doing, like a professional seems. So they call up this this, this hero cop from L.A. who's with his partner. You find out that uh, Al Pacino's being investigated by the, the uh, Eternal Affairs for some wrongdoing early on, earlier on in his police career that might undo decades of detective work of him putting away scumbags. So. There's this twin kind of thing going on where he is trying to protect his reputation and his concept of justice while he's also trying to help an old friend solve a crime in his hometown. As we mentioned, Hillary Swank is a younger detective that's uh, in, in the same Alaska town and idolizes Al Pacino. And uh, gosh, I can't say much more because the spoilers start f- fast and furious in this film. Um, but that's the setup. And it goes a lot of surprising places. And we're going to talk spoilers now. I want to talk about, because this is kind of like a film noir. And if you talk about film noir, one of the things about, I mean, it defines, it's it's dark. It's right there in the fucking genre. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of amazing they pull off a noir in a place where it's eternally sunny. Yeah, and I was like f- doing a very scary horror movie in the daytime. Uh, I, I was. It's strange. It's it and the fact that it the suspense works and I think mm-hmm. it's it there's a couple things like the use of fog was yeah. fucking brilliant. They use a lot of dark interiors like every time um, and this makes sense like you know if you're living in Alaska you would probably black out your curtains and do all that kind of stuff because why the hell would you want to have the sun shining in your bedroom 24 hours a day? All the interior mm-hmm. locations are really dark and dingy. There's a lot of alleys that he can go through where the sh- there's a lot of shadow. The mountains provide a shadow to the town sometimes, but like I was instantly fascinated at how they were able to bring that kind of darkness to a film that's otherwise set in the light. I I really uh, enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and then that's all all part of the themes of this movie, and and we'll probably talk about those here in a bit. Uh, is speaking of the light, well, let's start off with something silly. I I feel like it's a crime, maybe a hate crime. For a lodge in this area of the world not to have blackout curtains. How yeah. Can, how can you let in? You know, you know, you've been here for years. Put some blackout curtains in the fucking rooms. Shutters, what is wrong with this place? True blinds. Yeah, yes. I was I was I was wondering that myself. Um, is like there's nothing you can do. Like there's a scene later in the movie where Pacino is essentially building a barricade against light like sofa cushions and stuff. And I'm like, can't you just like tack your comforter over there? Sure. You know? Yeah. Is there he, not he a better to, way to get a phone call. It's, he's yeah. not thinking straight. Uh, so I'll give That's him that. True. Uh, and That's this true. is part of the, the film's uh, message, right? Like he is not just trying to block out light here. Yeah. What he's trying to do is keep his conscience at bay. 
Well, and I was also wondering, like, how much of this is psychosomatic because, like, when Maura Tierney comes in yeah. later and he's like, uh, you know, what's the nil noise? Because he's building this fort, this pillow fort, and, his, and he's like, oh, it's so bright in here. And she looks and we see from her perspective, the room is dark. It's dark. Certainly dark enough it's to not... go to sleep in. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not as dark as you would hope if you're traveling to the part of the world where the sun never sets. Yeah. It's fascinating because, like, I don't know if the audience knows this, but my brother just a month ago moved to Alaska. Mm-hmm. And he's in the ooh and ah phase right now. He just sent me a picture a couple nights ago of out his backyard. You can see the northern lights. And I'm just really curious about because this is he's living the part of Alaska where he's in for like <laughs> two more months of solid darkness. And then, oh, boy, you know, you'll have five, four or five months of just constant sunshine. I'm, I'm very curious to see how that that works. So they do. They, they mention this part about Alaska, that Alaska is two types of people live in Alaska. Mm-hmm. You're born there. Or you're fleeing there to hide something. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't describe my brother. I don't think. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's some gr- grim thing that he's he's running from. I don't know from uh, about. But uh, sure. Uh, I th- 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 there's a lot of questions I had while I was watching this film. Like they established that these cops are kind of dirty. But, like, I was wondering, are, are they dirty and kind of like, oh, uh, internal affairs are kind of assholes and they're, you know, they're like the cop cops and we hate them and they didn't really do anything? Um, or are they, like, dirty in, like, a compromised kind of way? I feel like it's the latter, right? Like, these I think, guys I think did. So, yeah, I think that's honestly the whole point of Al Pacino's journey in this movie is to realize that he is he is the bad cop, right? He's he's not unable to sleep like like he says because a piece of the puzzle is missing. It's cuz his conscience won't let him. I like how Hillary like before she even was really on them kind of twisted a knife when like middle of the movie she's afraid he can't sleep. She's like there's only two reasons a cop can't sleep, a good one can't sleep cuz he's trying to turn over a piece of the puzzle and a bad cop can't sleep cuz he's got a guilty conscience. And mm-hmm. the brilliant part about that is both are happening. Yeah. So he's like super unable to sleep because he has a mystery that he can't turn over that he's missing mm-hmm. a piece to. And then he's also got the guilty conscience now. Yeah. Just almost immediately after that scene, he'll be completely compromised. But uh, yeah, I just wonder the thing about this movie is I find myself wondering, should I be on his side? Should I? Yeah. What is my opinion of Will? Whatever his name is. D- Dormer. Dormer, yeah, I mean, this, yeah. that, that's the other Nolan thing is the names are on fucking point. Will Dormer, a cop that can't fucking sleep. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so I find myself going, hmm, OK, so they don't tell me what he did that might be compromising uh, for, for the internal affairs investigation. They, they just kind of hint that something happened with his partner that maybe he could also get roped into. And, and they let that kind of sit through most of the movie until like very, very late in the movie. You find out what he actually did and uh, you're still left to to think, OK, would it, given that situation, would I do the same? Is that justice? Mm. Is that is that right? Is that wrong? Um, and by the end of the movie, it's definitely put a thumb on the scale and says, uh, no, what he did was wrong. And I agree. Um it's just boy it takes that's what the movie is about right it's the movie is not about the murder mystery here so much as it is about like the weight 
of a choice you make that then sticks with you for your entire life. Do you think that because I, I wondered what their late reveal of the movie, did he actually commit that crime or is he in like a sleep delirious state where he can't be sure if he did or not? So I think the one thing that gives away the fact that he definitely did that is yeah. the shot that you see when when he's like remembering what he did of him planting blood on the clothes is also the very first shot of like the movie after the credits. Like mm. it, it opens up with, you know, the, these white snow covered mountains and things and, and a bloody uh, fabric, uh, blood spreading across fabric. And then you see like the gloved hands very okay. quickly. It, it's one of those Nolan flashes, right? Where you see it yeah, yeah, yeah. for like half a second and then you're onto the, to the actual movie. I think that shades it to where, yes, he actually did those things. You're probably right. That was my guess, too. But I was also like, man, they're playing with so many mental states. Wouldn't it be interesting that the, like, the AI uh, internal affairs investigation in conjunction with the six hour, six days of sleep in conjunction with this serial killer fucking with him has made yeah. him doubt like, oh, my God, did I do everything right? But I, I and, you know, and I think and I, it's smart to include that shot at the beginning, because, yes, I think you definitely could say maybe he's just misremembering all this. Um. It does seem that I, I like in the first third of this movie, um, because there's this like, I, again, like this, this, this movie's so smart. Cause like 25 minutes in the movie, you're mounting up. Uh, De Niro's got this, not De Niro, Pacino's got this brilliant idea to trap the criminal that like they've just found a, a, a book bag full of this lady's uh, personal effects and uh, they want to put it in evidence. He's like, no, no, don't put in evidence yet. Uh, put out on the TV and radio that we're looking for this bag. And the killer is going to realize he's screwed up and we're going to stake out the location where he left it. And he's going to come back and retrieve it because he's smart and he's going to have to do that. That's such mm-hmm. a fucking um, smart idea. And it goes wrong with a megaphone, which I like, man, I'm just like, I'm looking at this movie. I just watched Knives Out. The, the, the knives out glass onion over to break and I'm just like look I'm, I, I'm not gonna let another drink switch get by me so I'm looking and I'm like <laughs> did fucking Pacino accidentally trigger or on purpose trigger the megaphone because what is that what the or is, is this guy is protecting the killer because of something um there's sure, this sure. brilliant fog chase mm-hmm. and I I okay I watched a couple scenes of this movie a bunch of times um, and I rewound the fog sequence a couple of times because, you know, you got Robin Williams, who's the eventual killer, and this uh, his detective who had just informed him the night before that I'm going to cooperate with the internal affairs. I'm tired of hiding. You know, I'm going to let mm-hmm. the chips fall where they may. Um, and I'll take the heat. He's like saying it won't blow back on you. I'll I'll take it. And they took great care that their detective, this detective is wearing a green kind of like sheriff's poncho, uh, very similar to what mm-hmm. uh, Robin Williams is wearing in the fog. But I thought, especially right before he took the shot, that the fog cleared enough that I saw it was his partner. Totally. Yeah. Like as he was shooting, I'm like, I, I thought the next scene was like he's going because like the other thing is I was really appreciative how much trigger discipline that he was not just firing blindly in the fog because he might kill somebody. <laughs> 
I wasn't so sure, and I'm still not sure whether he shot the partner as like an impulse of like this is, and uh, and I already can see the angles, and I can blame it on the killer and all that stuff, or if it was a genuine accident that he felt remorse for. Yeah, and at the end of the movie, he's not sure, right? I. Yeah, uh, and it comes back to like that that choice that he made so many years ago, uh, bleeding into the choices he's now making, right? Um, and I, yeah. I think that's super effective throughout the movie where like he doesn't know what his own mental state is. And he's so good at detecting what other people are all oh. about that when he like loses track of himself in those later stages, it just becomes even better. Yeah, there's several scenes where you see Pacino reacting to a criminal doing because like, you know, his his theory is like there's really one type of criminal and they're mm-hmm. all the same. They have different stories they tell, but like it's always the same bullshit, you know, mm-hmm. and I think there's a scene in the movie because they also like I, I was surprisingly in the movie where I was like, OK, I want to hear Robin Williams out because there might actually be another killer. And that he's just mixed up in it and mm. he's prime suspect and he doesn't want to get like like he might have like it could have been or it could have been an accident how she died. Yeah. And then there's that scene where Robin Williams explains what happened. I'm like, oh, no, you just killed this fucking girl. Uh-huh. And the looking on D- uh, Pacino's face is the same. And I feel like it's also him coming to grips with his bullshit, like making the decision totally. that he's he's like, I, I'm going to cross the line. Like he says, he he crossed the line, but I guess that that sets up a sequence where like for the, re- the 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 rest of the film where he's kind of cooperating with Robin Williams. Um, d- is there ever a point in the film where he just decides that he's going to like, yeah, I'm going to frame this kid and or I'm going to do it because well, well, the I, movie keeps me guessing, which I love. Uh, right. It, it, it puts its thumb on the scale a couple of times and mm-hmm. says, no, he's still in the the righteous camp here, but over the course of the movie, you you see him cooperating in weird ways, and you're not sure if he's leading Robin Williams on so he can catch him, um, and also get himself off the hook because there's a delicate balancing act there, um, or or if he has actually like said, you know what, uh, I can overlook this this one more time because as we find out more about what he's done, I'm like, all right, well he's a dirty cop who could potentially make another bad decision like that there's nothing out of his character to to help this guy to get himself off the line i don't think it seems like there's um there's they they posit the existence of two lines like a cop might fabricate evidence to frame a guy that he's certain that's guilty and that's bullshit like you know that's fine for batman to do with his billion dollar bat crime and he's, he's never wrong. And, you know, he can beat the the kidneys out of somebody because he just, you know, he's he's got all this. He, he knows he's right. He's a cartoon character. It's not it's not appropriate for right. cops, but that's one thing. It seems like the, the, the thing that he really balked at was fabricating evidence to frame an innocent person. Mm hmm. And even innocent is like, because like I thought uh, yeah. uh, Robin Williams was as persuasive as he could be on a uh, an evil line of thought. It's like, is this guy really innocent? We both know he beat yeah. this girl. We both know it was escalating. Who knows? We might be saving a, 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 a another girl's life in the future. Um, mm-hmm. but and yeah, I, but, all that was but, working on me. But Pacino also like the the bedrock in the first like five ten minutes of the film where he establishes. 
this guy got a taste for this and he's crossed a line, another line mm-hmm. crossing. And once you do that, it's like he's going to kill again. It's a matter of time. And they suggest by the end of the movie that that's going to be true because he kills. But I don't know. He killed Hillary Swank for an objective purpose. I Yeah. Yeah. It almost as like a favor to Pacino, which is like, you know, because now they're he thinks they're in on it together. But how the hell? Because the other thing is like the movie starts descending into madness plot wise here because yeah, like yeah, I don't yeah. understand how Robin Williams would ever think that he would get away with killing a detective when she was very loudly and publicly on his way to her his remote uh-huh. cabin to get the evidence and he would be like what where where's your Patsy here or maybe he was setting up was he setting up Pacino could be it's several times I'm, I'm wondering ah. uh, throughout this movie like. It, this movie is weird. Um, like I talked about before the, the non or the, in the non spoiler stuff, because it changes several times. It morphs into a different movie yeah. a couple of times. Like you said, it, it's pretty straightforward. The mystery, like thriller noir thing at the beginning. And you're like, okay, super cops going to come in here and crack the case of this killing. And then somewhere in the middle, it changes from that to like a cat and mouse game uh, where where I think I think what's happening with Robin Williams character and they never make this explicit in the movie, but it feels to me like he is a writer who writes these types of noir mystery thriller mm-hmm. novels. And at one point in his life, wanted to be a cop, thought it was mm-hmm. cool, idolizes the profession in a lot of ways, like Hillary Swank does mm-hmm. uh, and wrote himself maybe maybe after the fact, after he killed her, but is writing a real life novel, one of one of his real life novels here. He wants to feel like he can get one up on the super cop in this very strange like novel setting. He talks about all these interrogations that he's going to go into as scenes that he's writing. Right. Yeah, like yeah. like when, when Pacino says, oh, well, yeah, we can pin it on Randy or whatever. He's like, yeah, that's a scene I could write. And uh-huh. and, and he feels like he is creating one of his murder mystery novels real time here. And I don't know if that's like a, a challenge to himself. Can I beat this super cop? Or if that's just like the situation he finds him in himself in. But because yeah, I over the course think... of the movie, it's it, it changes into that where it's like a cat and mouse game between the super cop and the mastermind criminal. Yeah. And I'm kind of like trying to think of because he's kind of unreliable because he says this is an accident. But then Pacino says you beat her for 10 minutes. You beat her to death uh-huh. over 10 minutes, which I can't remember if that's something that the coroner established or not. Um, Because, yeah, like I like Robin Williams is playing a not very successful, but he's providing a living for himself. Crime, you know, pot boiler crime uh, uh, writer. Mm -hmm. And he's got this young fan that he's fallen in love with. and He probably wants to have an affair with. And he's like the shoulder that she's crying on about her other boyfriend. And then, you know, when he thinks the moment's right, he kisses her and then she laughs at him, which they don't really go into a lot. But that. That causes him to lash out. I don't. And then I don't know, like. It, it's so weird the way he talks. And so he's ma- so matter of fact about this on this, uh, I think, I think brilliant mm-hmm. um, fairy scene because like him and Pacino are like in a gentleman's agreement to do the least in terms of acting. Like everything's very mm-hmm. subtle and very, very reserved. I, I yeah, it's it's very impossible to find out how he because it does feel like a guy who was living a normal life and this thing happened. But because he is who he is, 
uh, he decided that he was going to try to get away with it. And he's like, oh, these are a bunch of small town cops and blah, blah, blah. But then the L.A. guy and now it turns into a challenge. They 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 subvert a lot yeah. of this because like usually the the brilliant serial killer has killed a lot of people and he's taunting the cops he's doing all that it's like right. this guy was going to be a serial killer and he got nipped in the bud so yeah it's, it's, yeah but it's very unconventional because again it, it plays mm-hmm. a lot like the cat and mouse serial killer and the way he's kind of co-opted but not really and and I, the way you point the I I really appreciate how you pointed out a couple minutes ago that. I think you're supposed to understand that Dormer and um, what is a Walter is that the the, the Pacino and Williams mm-hmm. are Hap. like, yeah. yeah, like the frog and a scorpion. You know, they're like mm-hmm. working together, but they intend to betray each other at the at, oh, at, at, oh, as soon as Hap. they can. Yeah. Robin Williams. Right. Yeah. Like Robin Williams, I think, is setting up um, Pacino to kill Hillary Swank at the cabin. Uh huh. Just like Pacino is looking for every opportunity to expose Robin Williams. Um, yeah, what's what his think- plan with the, planting the gun in his vent? Because this is going to blow up. So, so the delicate like tightrope act here is Robin Williams. Uh, Walter has seen, saw him shoot his partner, whether it's an accident or not. Um, yes, and he's threatening the entire movie to blow up his spot on that because mm-hmm. Pacino has not told people, yes, I shot my partner. It was an accident. Um, what, so he plant, so Pacino plants the gun, the murder weapon, in Robin Williams' vent in his house. But that the, the resolution has not happened um, because Robin Williams could still blow up his spot, and, and Pacino is still trying to hide it. So what is his right. plan there? Is this just like a longer play where he's going to leave it there until he can find a way out and then hit him with it. That's the thing. He's, he's solved. That's, that's the other inverted Nolan thing is he solves the crime right away. Right. Right. He's got to solve it. He can't just be like, Oh, I know it's this semi-famous author and we got to go arrest his shit. He's got to make the connection. And what fucks him up is as he's looking to make that connection, Hillary Swank organically makes it. And Mm -hmm. you can see him kind of deflate when she's like, oh, I found another sign and it's a signed copy. Maybe something we should check out. And he's like, God damn it. Mm -hmm. Like there's a couple points in the film where you can feel it slip out of his fingers. And he's a smart enough cop to know that he can't just like he tries to coach Robin Williams. Like you cannot be so eager you have to make it seem like it's their idea. And that philosophy <laughs> traps him. The hilarious part is it would have worked on every cop except for Ellie, uh, Hillary. Because Swank's he's character. trained her to look at the small things and yeah. to notice the. And, and he also hangs like him. Do you think he wanted to be caught? Because I think the scene that stands out in my mind is where he refused uh-huh. to sign her official report because she's yes. she's yes. she served up his innocence on a silver platter and did well, a pretty diligent, so, thorough job. Absolutely. So so I don't think he wants to be caught so much as he doesn't want her caught in the same trap he's in. Like, he he really she likes was doing, her. I think she did good police work. It's just not, uh-huh. like, exceptional police work. And she did good police work that was subverted by him, right? Like, he switched out the bullet. He, like, right. th- these bad choices he's making are now going to fall on her. And yeah. he doesn't want that because he he respects her and likes her too much. Yeah. And yeah. that's one of those scenes. And then the final scene where he's like, 
she says, you know what? Uh, the, we're going to throw away this evidence that I found to save your reputation and keep all uh, all of the work of your career intact and all these horrible people behind bars. He's like, no, no, don't do it. You don't want that on your conscience. What was the point of having it be a backup weapon that he pulls to kill? I don't know. Because his first gun, like, misfires or is yeah, empty or something, he, he pulls, and then he, he pulls, pulls the trigger and a click piece. and a misfires, which can happen. He pulls his backup piece to shoot him. Is it just to make sure that, like, no, like he's the only one that was using a 9mm backup? I think so. Yeah. So, like, it's like, whereas it could have been his partner, but, but yeah, mm-hmm. what, his partner going to shoot himself? I was a little unclear <laughs> right. about some of the misdirection that they were using in that. I mean, maybe you could say like, oh, uh, Robin Williams got his partner's gun and shot him with it somehow and that he could still frame Uh, him with that. But if you shoot him with your backup piece that is uh, smaller, I guess, I I don't know. I'm not sure what their their main issue weapons are. Um, It might be an it might be a it might be a. I'm trying to say, is that evidence in the favor of him shooting his partner versus not where because it adds a slight delay where he could have. You know, he had to be pretty damn sure of what he's shooting at. If he pulls a trigger, sh- yeah. points a kill and shoot, and it doesn't go off and he slips another gun, like... There's that, too. Even in his own mind, it could be a thing of, like, yeah, I pulled two guns on this dude. I knew who I was shooting. Yeah. Um, I do, like, it, but it's, like, it's one of those things where you're watching and it's a disaster because, like, when you see him doing all these things to, like... He's picking up the murder weapon and he's hiding it and he's doing all these things. And I'm like, you are doing all of this shit on this case when you know internal affairs is up your ass. Like if he felt like he was doomed. And then when they're when he was talking to the wife of his partner and she says, don't when you find out who killed this guy, don't you dare arrest him. Like, I really thought this movie was going to end with Robert De Niro or not. God damn it. I keep on wanting De Niro to Pacino. I thought it was going to end with Pacino with a gun in his mouth. So I was like constantly in. And when they were like up until like 50 minutes before the movie is over, I was certain that that was going to happen. I was pretty pleasantly surprised that they subverted that. Um, yeah. He kind of pulled a Darth Vader, I guess. He redeemed himself at the last minute and kept his protege the... from falling to the dark side. Right. The thing that really sticks with me, though, is that this is going to undo his career's worth of casework like but how many there are strong cases to make hey this cop planted evidence here uh he ended up shooting his partner to keep it covered up the ia is gonna blow it up it's oh yeah and it's gonna look real bad and anybody who wants to bring a case that hey i was wrongfully convicted because this guy worked on my case they're not they might not be wrong right so I think the salve for our audience conscious is that is um, Pacino saying once a person crosses the line and sees how easy it is, they're not going to stop there. I think the implication is gotcha. a lot of his hero cop reputation is based on I mean, he's a very good and careful police person. Uh, and but, but he also puts a lot of stock on just his instant read of a situation. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I yeah, I'm like, again, I, I think uh I think you're supposed to understand that, like, maybe it's not a bad idea that a lot of these guys are going to get out of prison. Although, I mean, I guess philosophically, where are you at? If you knew someone was guilty of a heinous crime, where are you at with fabricating evidence? Because, like, my thing I is, don't like it. nah, like, that's what it's your job right? supposed it's to easy. be. It's supposed to be hard to deprive people of their life and liberty. Yes. 
yeah. it should be st- a game stacked against you. But like, especially I have almost zero. Like, there's so much fantastic magic police shit that they've got, and it's so hard to like. It's like it, it feels like. You know the the what 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 fucks up a lot of cases is bad police work, not insufficient evidence. It's like they don't sure. follow the chain of custody, yeah. they don't collect the stuff right, they're not properly trained, they fucking tamper. I mean, you know, you watch any of those things that was all the rage five years ago, making a murderer and mm-hmm. season one of Syria. It's like it's it wasn't the lack of evidence; it was like just bad police work. Um, and if it is lack thing- of evidence, why are you? Why why do you think that your you know finely tuned radar because you've seen you've looked in the eyes of killers is cause to fabricate evidence when in a court of law the evidence wouldn't be high enough to convict this person? Right. It, that that's you becoming the judge, the jury and the executioner. It's no, he's not... he's he's Batman. He's a low rent Batman. Yeah. He is he's dispensing justice on the, it's the exact that opposite can't be found. of what our justice system stands for, right? It's yeah. You can't be doing <sighs> yeah. that. Yeah. But I also like I sympathize like it must be very tough to be a murder police oh, yeah. and see just the worst shit happen, um, you know, find constantly little girls in garbage bags and and just I yeah. don't know. I feel like these people carry a weight about the world that a lot of us don't. Um, oh, totally. Uh, but you yeah, gotta, I won't even say you can't you got, you tell can't. a killer when you look into their eyes. But right. But that makes it even justice. more important for you to yeah. color inside the lines, because something like this should be a cautionary and i felt like it plays like like this is a cautionary tale for policemen like you cross that line and it gets you what you want but then you're probably going to do it more and more and then if you ever get caught then all the shit you know good and bad gets undone and it Mm -hmm. probably should because you know there should there should be penalties for for fucking up on you know uh that scale yeah the thing that the is strange about this is i don't get the impression that pacino the the Will made a habit of this. Um, I get the impression mm. that he did it once, realized how wrong it was, and, and his conscience bothered him his entire life, but not that he had done it habitually. So you're saying that he's what Robin Williams was promising to be. I just did this one time. Uh-huh. It was an accident. I'm never going to do it again. I yeah. don't think... I mean, I'm not saying that's an invalid... I mean, I get that impression, but... Because I, I got it, the opposite. Certainly there's nothing in the movie to tell me that, yeah. I, I thought that the movie, again, it's not spelled out in the script, but I thought the movie was telling me that, like, once you cross the line, it is mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, in both killing a human being, knowing how, you know, there's this great line that Williams has where it's like, how can life be so important and yet so fragile? Sure. Um, And I guess you could say the same thing about justice. How can the concept like justice be so important yet so, so fragile? But I, 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 you know, I I think there was real fear that he had done a lot of, you know, coloring outside Mm. the lines. And I don't know. know, I I look at the end of the movie when he, you know, has Hillary Swank not cross this line. He tells her, look, Mm -hmm. this, you don't want to do this. Um, Mm hmm. It's it's not necessarily there about like crossing the line is going to lead you down a bad road that is going to have you doing more and more uh, bad things, but that it was about a weight of conscience that this Mm -hmm. is going to follow you for the rest of your career, whether you're a great cop from now till the end of your life or not. um, It doesn't matter because it's always going to be there following you. And it, yeah. it had weighed on him his entire career that he had done this. And, although it, he says it was like a year and a half ago, so I guess I guess not. He's only been living with that for a year and a half. 
Uh, is that when they, I, I thought because like I thought there was much earlier in his career. Like I, I did I thought, too, but it's he he tells he her. He specifically says it was a year ago. A year I think, and a half yeah, ago? In, in that scene where you know he's building the pillow fort and yeah, oh, he tells shit. Rachel okay. that it's like a year and a half ago. Okay, which surprised me that. because I thought he had that, been living with it for longer. I thought when they did the flashback uh, that they were doing some light de aging on him, and like why would they do de aging on Gino after a year and a half ago? Are you sure it wasn't fifteen and a half or something like? Because like, I'm if, not if, if, if he certain, says it's a year it was... and a half ago, then I think your interpretation is right. Um, but it it stands in, or, or the other thing is like the, maybe the idea that he might not be you know totally compromised. Yeah, I don't know. Also, the idea is like maybe so if he did it the one time and it's a year and a half ago, maybe he would do it more because this movie shows that maybe. he is pretty quick to jump to cross. Like he jumps like all kinds of lines crossing in this movie, like yeah. early on too. Yeah, and, and I and I like that aspect of it where where he can't even tell whether or not he's done something bad here. But he doesn't even know his own intentions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's it's the the metaphor here for, you know, his lack of sleep and the light, the constant light is it it provides more insight into this character. It's not just about like, oh, this is a man who's deprived of sleep and not thinking straight. No, this is a man who has had something searing his mind for the last at least year and a half, maybe 15 and a half, depending on if I misheard that or not. Uh, mm. and, and this is just like the light is him not being able to avoid it anymore. He has to now confront the feelings he had about the choice he made. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now back with more bald move yeah um gosh and i gotta rewatch it to see if i because like because there's the other thing is like that scene where he's telling the i guess one and a half year ago uh mara Thierry has that line where she says well i suppose like crossing lines and whether you can get is i suppose it's whatever you're willing to live with which implies like living with something is something that, that implies more of like a one-time thing you're not living yeah, with something right. if you're just it's a habitual thing. Like yeah. I'm, I'm living I'm living with capitalism. You know, I'd already, <laughs> uh, I don't. This is this one time I struggled with it. And I'm you know, you don't like. No, it's like you're you're exchanging money for goods and services all the time on an open market. Like you can't say you're living with it. It's pretty much you're eating, breathing, sleeping it. Um, so that implies that it's like a one time thing that is a weight on your conscience. And you just have to carry that as a as a burden. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the fate I think he's saving uh hillary swank ellie from at the end not not that she's going to cross the line and suddenly become a bad cop all around but that she would have to live with the guilt of knowing she subverted justice i want to talk about robin williams and why his performance is so brilliant because it's very restrained he's not like um he's not like trying to out pacino pacino Mm-hmm. And anything when Pacino starts getting into Pacino mode and he starts, uh, Williams like draws back. He is just, I, I think part of it is like, you know, uh, uh with the, uh, apologies to the, the offer, uh, his eyes, ice blue, terrifying. Like I've never thought of him that way before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like the way this, uh, you know, they desaturate the shit out of this film. Like they do a lot in the late nineties, early two thousands. But like his eyes are just like crazy. But it's the yeah. only thing that's kind of unhinged. He's so just ordinary. And like Robin Williams, like Robin Williams is your dad. Sure. You know, 
uh, and with, he's with completely, 10 times the energy and he's completely calm. And like, I, I was waiting, like, I can't wait to see what twist it is that some ridiculous accident killed. Like she slipped on some tea or she, you know, like that, that, that cabin they meet in is some kind of crazy murder contraption. Like that something truly horrific accidentally happened and he got caught up in it. Mm-hmm. But like when he starts ta- talking about and and thinking that that Pacino is going to understand because you're you're the same. You didn't want to. Ki- I, I believe you didn't right. want to kill your partner. It was an accident. I didn't want to kill her. It was an a- and I, I don't know, man, like he never breaks that like normal person facade. Like he never seems like he's crazy. But the things coming out of his mouth are insane. Yeah, I, I'm this is why I think this movie and one hour photo stuck with me because I thought of Robin Williams as the funny man. This to me was his turn into drama and right. and being uh, a serious actor, whatever. Comedians are serious actors too, uh, but this was a different side of Robin Williams. But he's the perfect casting in this role because there is like a manic energy behind his eyes that you bring to it because of his just over the top comedy stuff, right? Like the mile a minute guy here is not on screen but mm. you still see it just beneath the surface and that gives an energy to this performance that is like at any moment i'm gonna see the crack in this otherwise normal guy and and, and the fact that it never reveals itself doesn't say that it's not there it says that it hasn't yet like bursted through and I think all, yeah. all the Pacino stuff that he's saying in this movie about like I, I looked into his eyes I know a killer when I see one uh, there's a line you cross and he will kill again, but he hasn't had the opportunity yet. And all of that energy is there in Robin Williams performance and just who Robin Williams is. I think, you know, yeah. it's why it's such a good casting, but also such a good performance. Of course, you're, you're overlooking his other noted psychopath role, Patch Adams. I have not seen it does does he is i mean a, a man does a man that, the man that goes into adult cancer ward with clown shoes and a clown clown nose and honking horns and like that that's that's a <laughs> oh, psycho God. that's oh, a God. that's a fucking dyed in the wool psychopath oh <laughs> my god patch adams history's greatest monster so uh, he had that yeah. role going for him first but uh yeah also fair, like a, a, have you ever seen a world according to garp no because I saw that when I was like 12 or 13, and it kind of changed my opinion on Robin Williams. Um, huh. So it's there like, this is a Good return. Morning Vietnam that, that what? surprised yeah. me with his performance, but yeah, not. Yeah. And he went on like just a like a tour of, of what I would consider schlocky stuff. Uh, oh, Bicentennial yeah, yeah. Man, Patch mm-hmm. Adams. Uh, oh, my God. What's that movie where he's reverse aging? He was like, uh, I, there's it's so not much Benjamin just sh- button. That's no, right. but it's just so much schmaltzy crap that he did. Um, and then Toys. like this, yeah, this, this with uh one hour photo and like, you know, world's greatest dad, he went on kind of like a tear of interesting dark material. Um, yeah. but yeah, right. He's, he's amazing. Like I said, he is holding his own against the uh, typhoon <laughs> of acting that is Robert. Uh, God damn it. It's Al Pacino. <laughs> yeah, no, I, we haven't really talked too much about his performance, but I, I was super impressed because you're right. You, you said it early on, like he he's a guy who usually comes onto screen and just grabs the camera and says, mm-hmm. I'm Al fucking Pacino. Look at me. Mm-hmm. 
This is the opposite. This I've got is a great very... big acting talent, and I, <laughs> we're going to make it everyone's problem in the scene. Yeah, right. And and where Robin Williams holds it together and never quite releases his his inner demons, Al Pacino yeah. has one line in this movie where he is Al Pacino. Uh, it's when he takes the girl to the dump and he's like, here, this this is where your friend, your your best friend was, they found her body beaten and bruised, wrapped up in garbage bags. And I'm yeah. like, all right, that there's whole scene, the Pacino I love. That whole scene where he picks up her best friend and plays chicken with her, that is the most Pacino-y part of the movie. Totally. But... I, I was I was impressed with the restraint from the old guy. Like uh, he uh-huh. he didn't he didn't just resort to, to screaming and yelling like he normally does. Uh, I, and, and I feel it. Like I feel that performance. The weight of like not just the conscience, but the no sleep. I I've been yeah, awake for a couple of dude. days straight uh-huh. before, and I know what that feels like. I know the uh-huh. the kind of zoning out that you get. Your 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 time loss just kind of you're in a twilight and he portrays that excellently by the end of the movie he's he's basically just like slack jaw drooling automaton that doesn't know where he yeah. is or what he's doing at any given moment and, and pacino is great at that he's great no at he, and i wouldn't yeah, have thought it. and like editing helps out a lot too because there's like a bunch of scenes like where he's just in a police station trying to maintain while like you know people are typing and fans are worrying, and as you yeah. as you mentioned that like there's so much tension like I, the the in, in hitchcraft in hitchcockian sense mm-hmm. um hitchcraftian would be if hitchcock made a lovecraft movie <laughs> but like that that final driver he's trying to save Hillary Swank and you're just like Jesus is he going to be able to stay awake or is it going yeah. to be like one of those grim endings um oh that windshield God, that, wiper scene yeah i was about to climb out of my skin when he tried to beat the cops over to the punk kid and like i'm like uh-huh. well he's going to find it like you know like they, they, all these tropes are set up he's got this shitty little pin knife and he's trying to undo the register where Robin Williams has had the gun and he does it and like they and I'm like but he's clearly the language of cinema is saying that he's going to get this done he's going to sneak out a window just as they get bust in the front door mm-hmm. but the gun's not there yep and he's got to keep looking keep and he, and he never he doesn't even find it the last fucking minute and then it's like right. he's hiding and I'm like and then they, he's like tries to go out and it's too small for him. And I'm like, w- literally, what the fuck is going to happen? Yeah. And the things that they the thing that saves him is the other cops doing good police work. They find just <laughs> as the dude uh, is going to go into the bathroom and expose him. And you can see on his face, like, what am I going to do? Yeah, How am I going no to do this? Uh, there's no way. And like the t- and like just like the relief. And that's. It's, it's interesting. It reminds me when we were talking about Psycho that like Alfred Hitchcock's aim was to have the audience constantly getting caught up in like this protagonist getting caught. And you don't want that to happen. And the relief you feel when it works and the terror of like, oh, my God, he's going to get caught. And like then you're like, well, this is fucked up. And I felt that, too. By this point in the movie, I was deeply conflicted mm-hmm. about Pacino and what he was doing and all that kind of stuff. And all that pressure stuff. I thought, uh, where are you at the log chase? I love that scene. I it's terrifying when when he goes yes. in the water it they, they do such a good job of kind of kind of visually explaining the forces at work here yes. and why this is a death trap yep and it's all purely show don't tell uh-huh 
And it's like, I, it's like this guy like went to some bumfuck Alaskan towns. Like, what are all the things that are crazy and frightening that I can do that's in broad daylight? And him falling between mm-hmm. those logs and like they're, they're enormous. And like he sees a break where he could he can he can stick his head up and take a breath and then because you know it's like there are all these logs in the water and there's like I guess tugboats like moving it's it's like it's like a human frogger uh-huh. <laughs> he's trying to get across to the lily pad and like that that were the two ends like there's a gap and they just like slam together and every one of those logs is weighing thousands and thousands of pounds oh yeah yeah it was like oh god damn it was uh. It was it was a real it was a real nail biter. If I'm putting on my like film art critique hat here, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like the, metaphorically it works really well too because he's kind of being like swept along by the tide here. He sees ways out of the predicament that he's in, but as soon as he's no, identifies it, it slams shut in front of him. And if he had tried yeah, to get through that hole, he would have been killed instantly. Uh, yep. it, the jig would have been up. Yeah. I, I think metaphorically and visually, this is an astounding scene. Yeah. And and just the image of it sticks with me. I've never seen a scene like this in another movie. Um, mm. and, and every time I think about this film, that's one of the scenes that sticks with me. There's one scene that I, can, I don't remember what it is. I think it's a Robert Redford film where he I think it says like his friend and he's he's logging with his friend and they're in a situation like this and the log moves and pins his friend underwater Mm-hmm. And uh, guy, I saw this when I was like seven years old, and I and I it, I can still remember every frame. That's and stuck with you, yeah. He's panicking, and his friend's dying and drowning, and he tries to give him like CPR mouth to mouth. And the comical like Robert Redford like essentially kissing this guy to breathe for him, and like how like what it, like you can see like this look on his partner's face where it's like this, and he starts laughing underwater, and it kills him. Uh <laughs> Yeah, man, don't fuck with big logs moving underwater, dude. Yeah. It's 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 a bad, it's it's a bad it's a bad deal. Um, yeah, Those there's are some forces great you can't control. There's some great lines in this film, like uh, a lot of the squaring off between Pacino and Williams, where you know, like Pacino's got this great line: "Is like, look, you want to be this unique guy, but you gotta understand, pal, uh, you're just a clogged toilet, and I'm a plumber." Like I, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you, you're not something, you're not a mister. I need to figure out you're just something I need to like, you know, uh, remove the blockage so society can flush. I thought that was really great. And then Williams had a retort about like, Hey, come on now. I know you're a pragmatist. You're in this job. You have to be. And like, sure. it's like these guys, like, um, you know, like Pacino does that. He he rolls on Williams tough, like you know the little punk kid in in the interrogation room, and Williams uses that as like, is like, look, I've studied you, your type, all of my life. I have great respect for you. You can't like none of your uh, average tricks are going to work on me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all the wild card stuff, right? What, that works can you really explain well. the? Can you explain to me why Robin Williams flagrantly ignored all of the advice that? Uh, Pacino's character gave him Dormer gave him about handling the police when he went into the interrogation. Is it because he knew that Pacino was trying to trap him? Or maybe. And, and was Pacino's reaction like trying to preserve the in, the the air of innocence about this guy? Like I'm gonna go I'm gonna go heavy on the attack so the cops are like Jesus Christ. Uh, it'll it'll they'll forget about their instincts of this guy handing him uh, Patsy on a silver platter or. Maybe, or maybe he's trying to create an opening for him to leave to go get the gun now that he realizes 
Williams has found it. Ah, um, and he knows he's going to give it to him by the end. As soon as he says, like, maybe he hid it in a baseboard vent or something, he knows, he knows what's yeah. going on. Yeah. It could be that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. So, so why he ignores his advice, you could be right. It could just be he realizes at some point he's going to be trying to trap him in this part of the cat and mouse game. Yeah. Uh, he could also just think he knows better. He could he could think well, or maybe he yeah maybe he knows better because he knows these these cops these local cops he he says as much a couple of times in this movie like I I can handle the local cops the the wild card here though that he doesn't see is Ellie I think mm. although he yeah I I would say he handles her at the end like when he gets the jump on the drop on her and is gonna kill her but I don't know wh- how he handles the local cops after that. So I don't know. Maybe he's overconfident. Well, I think he could handle the local cops had Al Pacino not showed up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, like what do they have? I don't, I don't know, man. He's, he seemed like he wasn't very clear. He had all of her letters. Like if they just do an, uh, uh, a raid on his house, like it's going to be like, and I don't think those letters well, probably going to be right. Like the, the, the bag trick, um, where he says, yeah, go go tell everybody we're looking for the bag, even though they've already mm-hmm. found it and we're going to stake it out. I think that is like something that even Ellie wouldn't have guessed or wouldn't have thought to do. Everybody's right, like, right, oh, right. that's smart. Yeah, let's yeah. do that. Oh, yeah. But I'm saying like just if they did careful police work and because he said that they, 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 yeah, they'll the eventually they connect them because I've got the signed book and all that kind of stuff. But I could, you know, like I can just tell them the story and it'll, it'll be fine. But I don't know. I guess because the other thing is he's not a very good. He's kind of a hack detective writer. Uh, yeah, there's a yeah, lot of ambiguity. It's not clear to me. There's a lot of things that are not clear to me. Like, for example, how did Robin Williams know that uh, Al Pacino planted a gun back in his apartment? Did he just. They, they give him sort of a supernatural sense for the the workings of the detective mind, right? Well, I was wondering if like because like they do this in plain in plain sight, like um, he traps Pacino at the crime scene of the young punk's house in the exact same way that Pacino trapped him at the cabin. And I mm-hmm. feel like maybe you're supposed to understand the apartments the same thing that he was like, you know, this is a town. He was just like kind of like casing out his own place. He's he's essentially playing the police to Pacino's criminal and he saw them go in there, and then it was just a matter of finding the gun. Like, he's like, I bet this guy hid the gun. That's what I would do if I was writing this story. And then, like, where would... I don't know. There, There's a couple things where you have to make a f- couple of connections on behalf of the film. But it's smart enough that I never felt like it was too big of a reach for me. Yeah. I, I didn't feel like the, the characters couldn't have figured this out. It's more like, uh, well, they're very smart. What did you think of uh, Al Pacino's Chew... Chew based acting. His like, gum like, is keeping him awake. I'd stop eating gum, man, if it's keeping you awake. Yeah, he's like that scene where he's just like got a whole pack of gum in his mouth and like <laughs> showing it off like a little kid, like pretending he's got a mouth guard in place. Like that was the one, that was another kind of a little bit Pacino y thing because he kind of <laughs> yeah. bugs his eyes out. Ooh, chop, chop, chop. Uh, <laughs> that was yeah, pretty funny. There's, there's a few things that stood out to me about Pacino in here. Like, I, I, I I don't I don't want to disparage the man if he's got a medical condition, but what's up with his fingernails in this movie? 
I think they're they mangled, he got, they, they're blackened, they're something. I think he got they got injured in the chase. Didn't he fall down? Like I, I thought that they got injured in the chase over those broken rocks. Like that. Uh, it seems Maybe. like he got, they, they, they look like they got pinched or crushed or something. I I was curious about this, and I, <laughs> I went on Google and I searched Al Pacino fingernails, uh-huh. which. Sure. Okay, that's my life. These are these. This Proud is my life. You. These are my that's, choices. Just follow uh, your bliss, man. And, and there are shots of him in real life. Real life, not not probably not fresh off the set with similar fingernails. So I, I'm wondering huh. if it's like a medical thing or if this is just like is he diabetic yeah, or something? Al Pacino just has bad fingernails. So you got uh, you that's got fine. Those... I have bad fingernails. I chew them. I shouldn't. Mm. Maybe he. Yeah, I don't know. I don't now know. People can look up Jim Jones fingernails, and they'll probably get a whole bunch of weird <laughs> sure. things about his. There's a lot look, of things to discover I, about Jim Jones on the internet. Honestly, I I, 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 I yeah. just looking into it. Wiki, wiki feet is a thing. Wiki tongue is a thing we came up with not too long ago. I don't want wiki nails. We you don't want need wiki, wiki nails. nails. Well, that no. could do. You could do. You also be it could be toenails too. So you could get some oh, cross. Oh, yeah, cross promotion with cross wiki market. Feet. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other thing I got to say is that final shot of Robin Williams slowly sinking in the water was really fucking creepy and well yeah. done. Like I thought that was like a great way to cap cap the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, did Robin Williams do so? Like was he dead? Because I thought he maybe changed his facial expression or something as he's sinking under the water. He laughed or he smiled or. And I thought he got like gut shot with a shotgun. Uh-huh. Maybe maybe it clipped his heart or something. I don't I don't know. But you don't die that fast, and you certainly don't go that peacefully in the water. A gut shot to shotgun seems pretty fucking bad, to be honest. Ugh. Yeah, but you you live for a while with that, not five seconds. But it, you know, it's movies. They do this. You're all also the time. underwater. Um, sure. Why was Robin Williams? Does he have adamantium bones? Why does he Why does he sink in the water? I don't know. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I, like I said, I was pleasantly surprised uh, by a lot of things in this film. And uh, if you want to say it's the worst Nolan film, then maybe that's because, A, you haven't seen Tenet, or B, he's just got a really good, uh, consistently successful film film career. Right. Filmography. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. Uh, in a stunning twist, our Patreon executive producers are sending us on a Robin Williams binge. We're going to be watching another one of his dramatic turns, Goodwill Hunting. It's the origin story of Matt Damon and uh, Ben Affleck, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they selected that from a three-film slate that we gave them to before the break. Uh, so we'll be doing Goodwill Hunting on Prestige. And uh, we will see you for, so for more Robin Williams next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.